some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, we are in the middle of Spy Week, which is presented by the International Spy Museum. That's a week's worth of episodes about espionage and intrigue right here in DC. Today, we're talking about food. Or actually, we're talking about restaurants. Why do they figure so much in spy stories? And which DC eateries should you hit if you want to dine where the secret agents met their secret sources? Today is Thursday, May 11th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Andrew Hammond, you are a curator and historian at the International Spy Museum here in Washington, and you've got a book coming out about Afghanistan. But today we're going to actually talk about restaurants here in Washington, D.C. My other great love. (laughs) Your day job. What is it about restaurants uh, and places to eat that make for good spycraft? There's a whole bunch of things going on there. So one of them is quite often for spies, you want to hide in plain sight. You want to be inconspicuous. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. You don't want to be across the room, handsome man who dresses in the sharpest suits or orders martinis shaken, not stirred, and you know introduces yourself as the name's Bond, James Bond. This uh, is why so I become a spy. <laughs> Too exactly. So this is why restaurants are such good places because everybody goes there. It's a place that doesn't really stand out for any particular reason, unless you're going to something, you know, some place that's very like off the wall. But if you go to someone's house, it's a bit more intimate. It's suggesting something else about the relationship, right? But if it's a restaurant, I mean, who's never met up with someone they've never met before in a restaurant? It happens all the time. I've seen your list of uh, famous DC spy restaurants, and it's like Martin's Tavern and Tony Chang's and Opied Cochon. And like, why don't they just meet at McDonald's or like the food court at the mall? They can pretend they were on their way to Bed Bath & Beyond or something. Well, I think that that's a good point. And I think that that is a place that they also meet. I think that, you know, we're talking about Washington, D.C. Most of these restaurants that I've suggested, they're all in pretty smart neighborhoods of the northwest or in georgetown or on or around embassy row so for that particular social milieu these restaurants don't necessarily stand out because that's what people in those neighborhoods tend to do but if it's other places then sure McDonald's is more commonplace. It's more anonymous in many ways. I've been to McDonald's in China. I've been to McDonald's in Moscow. And they're pretty similar to the ones in Washington, D.C. So they do meet in places like that. I think it's always conditioned by who are we talking about? (laughs) What would make sense? You know, when are they meeting? Those types of things. So they do meet at those types of places, but they also meet at these types of places. (laughs) 
The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma DC community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearboratacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. So there's this famous story at the now closed restaurant in Georgetown, Au Pied de Cochon. It's a, and pizza now for the people keeping track at home, uh, where a Soviet defector defected, snuck out of the restaurant, snuck out of the bathroom, I think, and ran back to the Soviet embassy and claimed that he had been captured or something by the Americans. And so that's like the most famous of these stories. But your research has come up with a whole bunch of other ones. Like what happened at Chadwick's? Tell us about that. So this is a really interesting story. So it's now Mr. Swift's on Water Street. And it was here that Aldrich James, a CIA officer, met with Victor Cherkashin. So why is that interesting or important? Well, Victor Cherkashin was a KGB counterintelligence officer. Aldrich Ames was a CIA officer. So the fact that they met, you've already got a question mark. But they were meeting so that Aldrich James could pass over what was taken to be pounds and weight of documents to Victor Cherkashin. He was doing it mainly for money and he was throwing many of his own people or many of the sources from his own agency under the bus, quite often leading to, you know, the end of their lives. So he's a he's still in a federal prison just now. I think he gets one hour outside of his cell per day. Um, he's not living a particularly attractive life, but this is famous because this is one of the most famous spies in CIA history, Aldrich James. He meets Victor Cherkashin, who it just so happens also is the handler for Robert Hansen, and he's one of the most famous spies in FBI history. So Did this he get one any man, good um, meals out of it? <laughs> I've actually never been to Mr. Smith's or when it was Chadwick, so I don't actually know what the food was like. Maybe. I think from what I've heard, it's pretty pretty standard. Yeah. No, I think, at, to your point, I think if you're like a, you know, a doughy, middle-aged white guy, um, I think you fit right in. It makes and sense. That's, okay. the, that's the point. What What are you trying to say, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So, and, <laughs> what about Martin's Tavern? Because this was like famous as a you know JFK hangout and stuff in a neighborhood where all of the, as you say, the smart people, the elite kind of profile of the sorts of people who joined the CIA in its early years, where they lived. What happened there? So this is where JFK proposes to Jacqueline Kennedy, you know, so right off the bat, you've got one of the most famous couples of the 20th century. There's a connection to that. But just in terms of spies, there's actually a few here. So Alger Hiss, a State Department official. He used to go to Martin's Tavern. He was found out to have been working for the Soviets. And then there's another spy connected to that, Elizabeth Bentley. 
So she was a member of the Communist Party USA. And then one day she decided to go to, I think it was the FBI, and basically fess up and tell them what was going on. And this led to other people being uncovered and other spy rings being uncovered. So this is more one that, you know, it's quite interesting that one of the it places, but you've got State Department officials, people from the Communist Party USA. You had someone else from the, I think it was the National Security Agency. They were all people that dined there. So, I mean, this is just one of the really fascinating things about Washington, D.C., right? You can just get such a smorgasbord of people to make it a food connection. Uh, you get diplomats, you get students, you get presidents, you get debutantes. And all of these types of people are, are meshing and mingling all over the city. And, and sometimes, most of the time, it's got nothing whatsoever to do with espionage. But just occasionally, it does. What happened at Choney Chang's along the H Street corridor? What was that? So this is where Yu Desheng, he was a Chinese military attache. So for your listeners that may not know, this is a military officer from China that would come here to the United States. And their job is to be a point of contact with the military here and to be, basically be China's military point person here. So he gets basically deported for activities incompatible with his diplomatic status, which means that he was trying to spy on the United States. He was trying to get National Security Agency documents from a federal employee. I believe that this one, if I remember correctly, was a sting operation. So I think it was actually an FBI counterintelligence agent the whole time that was leading him along. And then eventually he got deported. This one's quite interesting because I think just for your listeners, so Yu Desheng, this is 1987. He's the first, the first member of the Chinese government and the United States to be deported for espionage since the United States recognized the People's Republic of China in 1979. So one of the reasons why this story is interesting is because this is going on around us. Just China's a, a growing power. Uh, it's increasingly assertive in the Pacific and it's increasingly in assertive in terms of its espionage activities in the United States. So, so this is something that happened in the 80s when we were more used to hearing about Soviets. But this is something that will be happening now all around us. And every now and again, we, we hear of it in the news. Based on what you're saying, it's probably good news for the bottom line in the D.C. restaurant industry. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of people in the spy hunting business, James Jesus Angleton used to hang out at La Nissoise in Georgetown. Is that right? Yeah, James Angleton. He's a, a very well-known figure for people that know about the history of the CIA. He went to Yale. He was very cultured. He founded a poetry magazine. He... Be went on to become the head of counterintelligence for the CIA. He had a standing appointment at this restaurant, La Nissoise. He was very particular. Apparently, he would not eat mussels that were wholly white. He would send them back to the kitchen. He only wanted ones that had a little bit of orange in there. And he met there every week. And, and one of the very interesting parts of his story is one of his friends was Kim Philby. So Kim Philby has been called the spy of the century. 
with talking about the 20th century. He was probably the most important member of the Cambridge Five. So the Cambridge Five were five young undergraduates that were recruited from the University of Cambridge in the 1930s and all went on to have senior positions in the British establishment and every one of them was a Soviet mole, including, you couldn't make this up, the person who oversees Her Majesty the Queen's Royal Art Collection. This is the biggest private art collection in the world, Sir Anthony Blunt. Just imagine it. 1979, it's unearthed that he was a Soviet spy. So if you have the person that looks after Her Majesty the Queen's royal art collection to be a Soviet mole, you can imagine the effect that that had on British society. But wait, how is being up on the Queen's art like useful intel? Well, no, he goes on to do this job later on. Oh, yeah, he's in intelligence earlier on uh, and during the war. He's recruited in the 30s. He later goes on to have a non-espionage career as an art critic. But you can imagine the shock when it's unearthed that the person that oversees the Queen's pictures as a Soviet mole. But a lot of this goes back to Kim Philby. Kim Philby and James Angleton would meet at Lani Soise and then Kim Philby defected to the Soviet Union in 1963. James Angleton was understandably rather discombobulated by the fact that his friend, the person whom he trusted, the British contact from MI6 in Washington DC turned out to be a Soviet mole. So he goes on to some tellings of this story. He goes on to chase ghosts for the rest of his career. He's seeing spies where they don't exist. He is quite often seen to have brought an atmosphere of paranoia and the CIA in the 1970s. And I think that this is quite an interesting twist now because the site of Lanisoise is actually a ghost kitchen. So, <laughs> so that maybe brings the story a little bit full circle. Is there like a weirdest, uh, most surprising food location that has come up in your research? So one of the ones that comes up quite often is Anna Montes. So she was released this year. I think it was January. So a Cuban spy. She lived up in, I think it was Cleveland Park, up in that neighborhood northwest on the red line. So when you're a spy, the handler is the person that you meet to receive instructions, to pass over documents and so forth. She would always insist in meeting at really cheap and inexpensive Chinese restaurants in Northwest DC. The crime in DC was a lot more problematic than it is now. So she would always insist that meeting cheap Chinese restaurants in parts of DC where she felt safe and that weren't far away from the subway. Right, there's nothing a spy hates more than crime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why steal these documents if someone comes and steals what you've got? You're an expert on this and you uh, like food and you live in Washington. If you were doing some sort of secret agent kind of deal, do you have a place that you think that you would use? Yeah, I think that one of the places that I would use would be there's a cocktail bar on 8th Street Northeast. Mm -hmm. And I think I would meet there. It's called Copycat. And it's really good because you can get cocktails and pot stickers, two of my favorite things in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and also because if you think about it, all the places that I've mentioned are in Northwest. Meeting in Northeast would be a bit more out of the way. 
People are kind of lazy. When I used to live over that way, people would almost never come to visit me just because they had to walk a bit further or get the streetcar. People just want to be somewhere that's near a subway stop. So I think it's a bit more out of the way. It's kind of interesting. You know, lots of people rotate through there. So I think that would actually be quite a nice place to meet. And I feel comfortable saying this because I'm not a spy. And if you do see me there, I'm not engaging in espionage, I promise. I think I would pick like the cafeteria at one of the museums. Oh, that's actually a good call. How's your cafeteria yeah. at the spy museum? Uh, we don't have a cafeteria at this location. We have a food court though underneath us. Now I think about it, the food court is actually a pretty good place as well. It's pretty anonymous. You should engineer a bust down there because there's nothing that would be better for business than that. On, on the site. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> um, Andrew, thank you so much. It's awesome to have you here. Absolutely. Thanks for your time and uh, I appreciate speaking to you. And before you go, here's some quick news. A DC judge is ordering owners of the beleaguered Marbury Plaza building in Anacostia to pay rent credits to residents. This is thanks to the months they lived in unsafe and unsanitary conditions, some of which included rodent infestations, mold, and faulty air conditioning. Meanwhile, Leonard Bishop may be one of D.C.'s most unique advisory neighborhood commissioners. He is currently incarcerated at the D.C. jail. He took over for a predecessor who changed addresses as a result of leaving detention. Now Bishop says he wants to push a proposal that would allow people incarcerated at the jail to participate in D.C. council hearings. Also, a new report from Rent Cafe found that $1,500 will get you an average of 484 square feet in D.C. proper. In Alexandria, it's a comparative bargain. Your 1500 bucks will get you 640 square feet. That's the highest in the D.C. area. It's still well below the national average of 728 square feet for that rental price. And today's D.C. life hack from our sponsors at the Spy Museum is... If you're visiting with kids or kids at heart, don't miss the air duct crawl through the fifth floor where you can spy on unsuspecting guests below. And lastly, we want to wish our longtime listener, Jack Nessman, a very happy 30th birthday. We hope you have a great day and come say hi at our next live taping. It's on Saturday, June 3rd at 1 p.m. at Wright Proper's Brookland location. We're going to be chatting about DC's craft beer scene. We'd love to see you there. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, whisper it to someone over a meal. And subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.